It's been said that there's one question you should ask whenever someone's giving you a report about their daily fishing. What's that question? We're going to answer that and more on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Lachance here. Thanks so much for tuning in to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. It's always my pleasure to bring you these, and I've got a topic that I think is very important today. It's one of the most fundamental topics in all of fishing, and it stems from the fact that I had a conversation this morning uh, with some folks uh, while working a Terry Wickstrom Outdoors radio show, and uh, it was the 25th anniversary of that radio show. I've been on that for basically 20 years and uh, as a contributor and fill-in host for Mr. Wickstrom. And we had a fan that showed up and said, there's one question that I, that I need to know. What's the most critical thing I need to know when I'm dealing with a fishing report or somebody's telling me about their day? And I didn't even have to hesitate to tell him what I thought my answer was for that. Because if I want to go catch somebody else's fish, or conversely, if I want to catch the most fish on uh, any given day on the lake, um, the one thing I need to know is how deep were you fishing? And that's really important for a lot of reasons, irrespective of what species you're dealing with. How deep were you fishing dictates a lot of things. Um, And some people say, well, how deep were the fish? Well, That doesn't necessarily answer the whole question. How deep were you fishing gives you a better answer for what's going on. And if someone can't tell you how deep they were fishing because they don't know, not because they're being a fisherman and electing to not tell you, but if they can't accurately tell you how deep they were fishing, then they got a little bit lucky. Uh, If you have an angler that's had a really good day and he can say, oh man, we caught all of our fish from five to nine feet, blah, 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 or some walleye guy, everything was 21 to 25 feet, blah, blah, blah. I can tell you that guy was tuned into what's going on and he had a good pattern and it is duplicatable. So the million dollar question is how deep were you fishing? And that only gets you part of the way there. What I really want to talk about in this podcast is depth control, because how deep are you fishing tells me where I need to be fishing, but it doesn't tell me how to hold my bait there or get my bait there is the case by me. So over the years of guiding and traveling around fishing, everything from freshwater, saltwater, bass fishing tournaments, walleye tournaments, fly fishing, you name it, across the board, the fundamental thing always is how deep do I have to be uh, to catch my fish and then how can I best control and duplicate that? And that's very important. So we're going to break it down by a few different ways, and, um, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. So the first place that's easiest, let's talk about where, how, how we're going to establish depth control. The easiest way to catch fish is by a large margin, in terms of depth control anyway, the easiest way to maintain your depth control is by a large margin floating on the surface, a surface bait, because depth control is easy when your stuff floats, right? So if whatever species of fish it is, is feeding up and is willing to bite on the surface, I'm always going to go there first. And there's a lot of scenarios where fish might not be feeding up, but that they will feed up if the opportunity presents itself. For instance, smallmouth very commonly will stage in deeper water, maybe 15 as deep as 20 feet down, but will be happy to come up and get a surface bait. In that case, I'm always going to throw the surface bait because I'm never going to snag it. I can see all my bites. I can see if I'm getting refusals or swirls or anything like that. I need to make an adjustment to my retrieve or my colors uh, or my bait. 
But at the end of the day, if I can catch fish on the surface, that's the easiest one. And for the record, at least in my opinion, also the most fun. Uh, and I don't care if it's drifting a dry fly in a trout river or a surface popper around, you know, flooded vegetation for largemouth or a walking bait over deep water for stripers or wipers or smallmouth. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. If it's fishing on the surface, I'm going to have a good time with that, and it's easy. I'm not going to snag my bait ever, as I said, unless you throw in the trees, and of course, I would never do that, but you know, <laughs> some people might be inclined to do that. Get a plug retriever, people, an 18-foot-long uh, Fraybill solid extendable plug retriever will save you a lot of money. Yes, that's a gratuitous plug for a Fraybill plug retriever, but I've saved literally hundreds of dollars with mine. It's a good investment. At any rate, Fishing on the surface gives you excellent depth control, and it's the easiest one to accomplish all the way around. Incidentally, when I'm teaching kids to fish, it, the first thing I would love to take them is to throw some sort of a small, very easy to retrieve topwater bait because it takes all the frustration out of it for kids. And that's the that's the I guess the most refined version of of the simplicity of it, right? If I could take a six year old and I can get him to to take a little baby Chapo 75 and it throws it out there and then if he messes around with his reel, it doesn't matter, it's just floating. If he doesn't have perfect retrieve, it doesn't matter because the bait's just winding across the surface and, uh, and oh, by the way, kid's gonna get giddy when it gets smashed. So surface baits is the easiest depth control you're gonna do by a large margin. Now, uh, the second easiest in terms of uh, control in general is controlling your bait from the surface, even though your bait might be down. So the, the obvious answer right here is bobber fishing, right? We're going to take a, a bobber out there. We're going to hang bait under it. We're going to let it sit there. That's great. Uh, some limitations in how far you can cast it. Uh, you know, hook setting ability isn't always ideal with a bobber because you have that 90 degree turn in your line. Uh, another possibility, a little bit more complicated than a bobber, uh, and far more effective and versatile than a regular bobber, is a slip bobber. Now, a slip bobber, if you're not familiar, will slide up and down your line. So when you go to cast it, it will be all the way down by your lure or your bait, whatever it might be. You cast it out. Your bait or lure will sink down underneath that bobber, and you will have a bobber stop that's very small. Typically, it's made out of some kind of fishing line or thread or some sort that will go right through your guides, and you can wind it right on the reel. I have an excellent trick for that, by the way. The easiest bobber stop you can use is to take some regular monofilament fishing line that you have, a scrap of it, and tie a uni knot around your line with it. So take that other, take that little scrap of line, tie a uni knot, snug it down good and tight against your line, and cut the tag ends off to about an eighth of an inch. What that will do is give you a perfect bobber stop. You can slide it up or down the line wherever you want it and reel it onto the reel without any problem. It'll come through your guides. Um, and it's very cheap, very simple, and you don't have to go buy anything. Uh, you probably have a scrap of monofilament laying around in your garage. Uh, I also use those to peg sinkers, but that's a whole nother story. If you're a bass fisherman, you can just tie a uni knot around your line, peg your sinker right there. Very good uh, for uh, something like a Texas rig. So Anyway, a slip bobber gives you excellent depth control and more versatility because the, the let's say that your sonar unit is showing you fish and they're 20 feet down, okay? Well, I can set my bobber stop so that my bait is 19 and a half feet down, set the bobber stop right there, make a long cast out over water over the over my fish, 
feed it line until the bobber hits the bobber stop, and then you know that your lure is hanging or your bait is hanging at exactly 19 and a half feet below the surface of the water. You have excellent depth control. I alluded to the uh, limitations as far as hook setting. The limitations of the hook set on that can be because you have line coming out of your rod that's going out almost horizontal to the surface of the water, then it hits that bobber and turns 90 degrees and goes down. So I generally want to have long fishing rods for that so that I can sweep a lot of line when I go to set the hook because I have to pull that line straight before I get any tension on the fish. The good thing is the bobber will slip uh, down the line unlike a traditional fixed bobber that will not, which means you've got to drag the bobber through the water as well. So Slip bobber is a little bit better for hook setting, but anytime you have a 90 degree turn in your line, it gets harder and harder to set the hook because you have to pull that line tight. So a slip bobber on the surface or a bobber on the surface is the next best way for depth control. And when it comes to the slip bobber, I find the limitation is somewhere right around the 20 foot mark. If it's deeper than that, I'm going to do something else. Uh, just for that big bend in the line like we just mentioned. And um, you lose a little bit of control because when it's hanging that far underneath the bobber, currents can move it. Um, it's just tougher to keep track of in general. So I look at slip bobbers as being a viable option out to about 20, maybe 25 feet on the outside. And if they're very close to the boat, if I'm able to sit right on top of my fish, um, then yeah, I can maybe get away with a little bit deeper than that because I don't have quite as much angle in the line. So slip bobber is my next best choice for depth control. And incidentally, last thing about the bobbers all throughout there, if you have a little bit of a chop on the water, it will do the jigging for you, which is nice. So it will make your bait move up and down. Um, you know, one of my favorite things to put under a bobber is marabou, anything with marabou, a marabou crappie jig, a woolly bugger, whatever, anything like that. Uh, marabou breathes very nicely underwater. A combination of marabou and gulp is a fantastic deal. A marabou jig with a gulp minnow on it is a great way to get fish to bite in open water. Uh, a little white jig with a smelt-colored minnow on it works really, really good. So a uh, good possibility for you there. Now, the next um, depth control, the next easiest, I should say, we start with the surface, then we start with suspending from the surface. The next easiest one is going to be the bottom, right? Because the lure sinks, it hits the bottom, you know it's there. You have control. If your fish are on the bottom or feeding down, then being on the bottom can be really good. I don't like to have a bait on the bottom. If, if particularly, let's say I'm in my boat, right? I'm in the big ranger and I, and I got all the graphs fired up. If my fish are more than about five feet off the bottom at all, maybe even three feet off the bottom, I'm not going to fish the bottom. Um, it just, just not going to do it. They, it's the, most of the sport fish that we want to catch do not feed down per se. They'll pick stuff up off the bottom for sure, obviously, but they're generally going to be more inclined to feed at their level or above them. And uh, now, obviously, you catch a lot of fish dragging stuff on the bottom. It's got you have good control right there. That's not an issue. Um, but again, the fish need to be positioned and feeding in that general direction. A classic example of us I, here at my lake before our young of the year bait fish get big enough to be pursued, but our bait fish from last year are too big for our smallmouth to eat, they will key heavily on crayfish, at which point you can drag anything you want on the bottom that resembles a crayfish and you're gonna get bites. Their fish are feeding on the bottom. They're cruising two feet off the bottom, looking through the rocks. I've literally watched them do it uh, where they're just feeding away long. You can watch them look into every nook and cranny looking for, for crayfish. And uh, and so that's, that can be a key thing. There's some limitations though to using your lure on the bottom for your depth control. One of them being 
you have to have fish that are good at picking stuff up off the bottom, which if you ever watched a bass even pick stuff up off the bottom, he has to turn on his side to be able to see it and, uh, and pick it up sideways. And so that can be a limitation a little bit if your bait is on the bottom. If you have vegetation on the bottom, your bait can disappear and fish again will have a hard time finding it or your bait will be fouled constantly can be important. And along those same lines, if you have a bait on the bottom, then obviously the, the risk of snagging goes through the roof. And in the lake, my home lake, if you're bottom fishing, you are legitimately going to go through dozens of jigs a day or you're not bottom fishing very well. And that's with a very high quality rod and very high quality line and 20 years of experience of doing it at this lake. It is very difficult to get a tube jig or a Goldman on a jig or anything like that around on the rocks without snagging it a bunch because it's very rocky and very jagged rock, broken rock, very uh, expensive way to fish, let's just say, because you're going to go through a lot of baits, you're going to break off a lot, you're going to frustrate yourself. That's what I notice on guide trips is clients get frustrated when they're breaking off a bunch of baits and they're not even buying them. At that point, generally, when I'm having to bottom fish with the clients, I'm going to pre-rig, say, 20 or 30 two-and-a-half-inch Berkeley power tubes with an eighth-ounce jig head in them because... If I go ahead and pre-rig them all with a jig head, I, I set them on the deck of the boat and I explain to the people, look, you're going to lose a bunch of jigs today. I get it. That's okay. That's partly what you're paying for and you want to learn to do this. So I'm going to put all these jigs on the deck of the boat so you realize we have plenty of them and I'm prepared to lose some of them because, again, it frustrates people a lot when they start snagging a lot, myself included. And, uh, and I've seen some of the best bass anglers in the country melt down when they snag three or four in a row. It's just it is what it is. Nobody likes to be snagged. If you're using the bottom to, to keep your lure for depth control, that's part of your issue. And yeah, there's different rigging tricks and things that can help you with some of it. But at the end of the day, if the bottom is your depth control, you are going to snag. Now, similarly, if you want to use the bottom for your depth control, similar to using the top, the opposite, obviously the first, the first thing we talk about is top water. You got a bait floating on the surface. The polar opposite of that is a bait sitting on the bottom. Well, if the next logical one from the surface was the slip bobber, the next logical one from the bottom is the drop shot. And we've done whole podcasts on drop shotting and why I'm such a big fan of drop shotting. Drop shotting means my, my weight is on the bottom, but my lure is up off the bottom. Might be a couple inches, might be a couple of feet, might be four feet. But whatever it is, I have perfect control in terms of relation to the bottom. And so if I'm seeing a bunch of fish in my graph that are five feet off the bottom uh, or three feet off the bottom, I can set my drop shot to four feet long and have my bait is right above them all the time. And so that's a wonderful thing because again, I have good control. It's, I feel that weight, I put just enough tension on it to set the weight on the bottom and not load the rod tip. And then I know that my bait is up above that, that hook or excuse me, that sinker that's down there. And uh, and I have control. I have 100% control. The bait's never any lower or higher than that because it is tied off. And I'm not going to go into the whole details of a drop shot rig right here. We've done other podcasts and YouTube videos on that. Uh, you can go check those out, of course, at Fishful Thinker. But um, at the end of the day, a drop shot's a very versatile deal. I'll tell you also, if snagging is an issue in your home lake, uh, if you fish rocky terrain very much with a drop shot, you're going to lose a lot of weights. And I've converted in the last couple of years to using almost 100% split shots on my drop shot because they're inexpensive and they're very quick. So you clip a couple split shots at the bottom, 
they're going to give you the same effect of a fancy drop shot weight, but when you lose them, you lose 10 cents instead of losing a buck a piece. And it's also less frustrating because the line doesn't break at all. The sinkers simply slide off the bottom and you can pinch another one on it. And so quick business to fish with a drop shot with, uh, with split shots for the weight on the bottom. Drop shots are very, very effective for a lot of species of fish. And again, we've done um, whole podcasts on them, and I would encourage you to go listen to those if it's something that interests you. But it's an excellent way to establish depth control, and it's a good way to let your lure be more natural because there's no weight attached directly to your lure. And you can fish almost any kind of lure on a drop shot. I've even seen guys um, putting hard you know, hard baits on a drop shot, and, uh, and that works really good. And... Um, me, it's all about heavily scented baits, either gulp or power bait max scent, almost always on a drop shot bait. And that can be really, really fantastic to do because fish get a lot of time to look at your bait. And so between the concept of depth control and scent flavor and profile, you've got everything you need to get bites. Now, so we've talked about the fish on the surface. We've talked about the fish in the bottom. We've talked about the fish just below the surface and just off the bottom. The hardest fish to catch are all the ones in the middle. And uh, unfortunately, that's really, in my opinion, the holy grail of bass fishing right now. It's something that, in some cases, walleye guys have gotten very good at because of the trolling aspect. And if you ever read the Troller's Bible, you've, it's all about depth control, um, how far behind the boat, uh, you know, uh, with this pound test and this particular dive curve of this lure at this speed, that's what you're going to get for a depth range. And they calculate all that. They have books for it that is made to target suspended fish. And fish suspended, in other words, not related to the top and not related to the bottom, are by far the hardest ones to present a bait to because it's kind of outer space. You don't know how far down your bait is, right? You can you can count it down. That'll give you an idea. But as soon as you start retrieving it, you're out. And, and most, most you know, fishing people will tell you an average sink rate is around a foot a second. And uh, that's only an average, though. And so if I know that there's a whole bunch of fish, say trout or lake trout or kokanee salmon, and they're all, you know, 35, 40 feet down over 100 feet of water, well, that's not an easy place to present a bait. If you've got a bunch of walleyes that are 20 feet down and they're roaming constantly, uh, then, again, not an easy place for, to prevent, present a bait. And so those fish can be very difficult. I will approach them sometimes with suspending baits, um, and, and that will work fairly good if they're high enough in the water column, but again, they need to be either high enough in the column or be willing to travel up enough in the water column for that to work. A classic example of that would be something like a Berkeley Stun, a jerk bait that might run in the eight-foot range, and the fish are 12 feet down, and they'll come up and get it. But the bait, when you, sus when you pause it and don't retrieve it, it just sits there in the water column, which is the whole deal. A traditional crankbait, will, of course, will float to the surface. A lipless crankbait will sink to the bottom, but a suspending jerkbait will sit right there. Another really good bait for suspended fish uh, and depth control is a spy bait. Now, Berkeley makes the spies when we throw. A bunch of companies make them. Throw that thing out, count it down. It's got, a, it's got a calculated sink rate. Count it down to whatever range, and then just wind it as slow as you can, can stand to wind it. So if I need it 25 feet down, I count it until it gets 25 feet down, and then I barely wind it, and I wind slower and slower as it gets back to the boat. Uh, it becomes important because it will slowly rise, just like anything else, as you retrieve it. So as it gets closer to you. So you have to keep that in mind, but that can be an excellent choice. And just for the record, those are not just bass baits. I get it. They were designed for bass baits but they are very much 
versatility, uh, or very versatile baits, I should say. Trout love them, by the way. If you're a trout fisherman and you haven't tried a spy bait for trout, uh, you're missing out. It's an excellent way to catch them. But it's a good way to basically keep a bait at a specific range all the way back to the boat. Now, a lot of people are going to say, oh, a crankbait, because this one dies 8 to 12 feet, so I have control. Well, that 8 to 12 feet is a giant generality, and I don't care what lure you're talking about, what brand or anything else. That means that on a perfect throw with X whatever pound test of this style of line and at this retrieve speed, that's where it's going to go. But that doesn't mean that if I troll it, it's way down deeper than that, or if I only be able to throw it half as far, it might not get anywhere near the depth range. And oh, by the way, it's only going to be at that depth range for a very short part of its retrieve because it has to dive its way down first to get there as you retrieve it. And then once it gets getting closer to the boat, it's going to start coming up just like the spy bait we just talked about. So it's harder to keep a crankbait, a traditional crankbait, in a depth range for any length of time. And it's very hard to know exactly how deep that crankbait is running. And on top of that, crankbaits aren't generally at their best as far as getting bites when they're running in open water, unless they're running very fast. Um, so if a, like a medium retrieve, retrieve crankbait is a much better choice for hitting cover and structure on the bottom uh, than it is for just running in open water as far as triggering bites go. So when it's just running in open water, it's a great way to get follows, not a great way to get bites. And again, we've done whole podcasts on triggering bites as well. But... Um, other ways to target fish in the middle, middle of the water calm, is, is, particularly for you boaters out there, is for sure to fish vertically, um, which again, we could do a bunch of different ways. One of my absolute favorites is the spoon of some sort, a Johnson Sprite or Splinter. Uh, the Sprite's got a bigger profile and is a thinner spoon, so it sinks slower with a wider wobble. The Splinter is more like a Castmaster that's a small, very dense spoon. It sinks a bunch faster for a given weight, and it has a much tighter flutter. But either way, one of those two fished vertically under the boat is, is a fantastic way to have depth control because I can let it sink, I can count it down, and I'm fishing vertical. So if my fish are suspended, I can count it down to, what, to say the level the fish are at and then snap it up and let it flutter back down and snap it up and let it flutter back down and it's moving up and down in one specific range in the water column and basically from about August on in my home waters we will start working on that presentation and by fall it's almost exclusive for us because a very high percentage of our fish are suspended. We'll drive around and look for them on the Lawrence units. When we find them we'll establish our depth range. I've used at various times in the past uh, various what I would call metered lines. Lines uh, Berkeley made tracer braid for a long time. I pigeonholed a bunch of that stuff when it got discontinued. Uh, change colors every two and a half feet so I can just literally count the color changes as I drop the bait down and know exactly how far my bait went down. Um, they've, they've made a few other different metered lines at various times. Uh, they were originally intended for trollers, but or some of them were anyway, but they work just as well for fishing vertical because the concept is the same. But digging a spoon over deeper water is a great way to maintain your depth control and trigger all kinds of bites from, from trout, bass, walleyes, uh, wipers and white bass and stripers and, and lake trout and everybody else. So it's a really, really good way to establish depth control and one of my favorites. So um, when you're dealing with fish that are suspended, just you have to keep in mind, it's easier to get them to come up to eat than it is to go down to eat for one. So you want to be at or above their level. And then for two, there's a lot of the time that fish are suspended because they're unhappy with conditions. And it may be hard to get bites because they're suspended because the water started dropping really hard 
or a major cold front pushed them out of the shallows or the shallows got too hot and the oxygen levels went low and so they pulled out over deep water or the structure that they really want to be sitting on is getting absolutely pounded by guys that, that have it on their graph and understand how to, to read the terrain and they're beating up the fish on the, on, the, on the structure. So the fish leave the structure and suspend out off in open water making them much harder to catch in general and they're likely in a bad mood which is where the spoon comes into play because as we discussed in our Triggering Bites podcast, something erratic and shiny is a great way to get fish to bite. So that's where I'll use the spoons. Now, I'm not a troller, and I'm going to throw that out there because if you want trolling advice, there's a lot better people than me. But I've trolled with some of the best, and I understand the basic fundamentals of it. And another excellent way for depth control um, is to use some sort of a downrigger or snap weight in combination with the stats that go with those, and you can control your bait. When I say the stats, I'm talking about, okay, if I put... Let's say I'm going to troll a flicker shad, and I put it 50 feet behind a planer board, and I troll on 10-pound Trilene XL or XT, and I you know, troll at X speed, it's going to run this deep all the time. And so for trolling, you have a couple options, one being using the dive curve, one being using a downrigger-type ball, or uh, there's various little planer boards that are designed to, to dive uh, to certain depths as well. Um, little planing tools that will help you out with that. But again, I'm not a troller. You should look at more options uh, or, or more better options for education in that regard. But I will say this, there are tools available. And if you are a troller, you need to really focus on depth control and speed. Those two things go hand in hand for trolling and each one affects the other and can be very important to keep that in mind. But depth control is equally important in trolling and in some ways easier to establish than it is with guys casting. So let me throw one, one last little bit. If you're a bank angler, and I know we talk a lot about boat stuff because there's just more variables when you're boat fishing. Everyone says, oh, if I had a boat, I'd catch more fish. And that may be true because you can get to more water, but the other side of it is you have more variables you have to work out. If I'm a bank angler and I'm focusing on my depth control, and I still, I don't care if I'm standing on the side of a river or I'm standing on the side of the ocean, I'm going to focus on depth control all the time. If I'm a bank angler, I'm going to try the surface first, the fixed bobber second and the slip bobber third all the time. And, uh, or no, excuse me, I said that wrong. I'm gonna try the surface first, the slip bobber second, and then the fixed bobber third. Slip bobber is more versatile and easier to set the hook on. So I can set it from one feet down to 20 feet down and be fine. If I'm a bank fishing, let's say I'm a power bait guy and I like to throw power bait for trout, a slip bobber, it should be in your repertoire for sure because trout tend to be suspended or, or running maybe six, 10, 12, 15 feet down. Uh, I would way rather hang a bait from the surface than raise than have a bait float up from the bottom. So if only if they're really deep do I want to do that is have my bait float up from the bottom. In the instance that I am a bank angler and I, and I feel like that my fish are likely very close to the bottom or past experiences have dictated that, then I'm going to put a sinker ahead of my power bait. I'm going to use a very light uh, light wire hook or a floating jig head and I'm going to use use my power bait from there. The, the power bait itself is buoyant and it will hold up a light wire hook, but if you don't have a big enough piece or you need a bigger hook, something like that, then you can use a floating jig head and put some power bait on and float it up off the bottom, which is effectively the same thing as a drop shot just rigged backwards for a bank angler. Obviously, if you rigged a drop shot that way, the tension between you and there would cut the, the height uh, off the bait and it would be lower to the bottom. So, 
Depth control, depth control, depth control. It's, it's day one stuff for us. We do it all the time. Every guide trip is built around that. When first thing I need to consider every day is how deep are my fish? How deep will they bite? And that will dictate my options as to what lures I can throw or what presentations I can use. The easiest ones are higher in the column. The deeper they get, the harder it gets. Um, as far as what presentations I can use, uh, the ones in the middle are the hardest, and I can fish a long ways down if I can use the bottom for my depth control. Something like laker fishing. I've pulled fish off the bottom in 100 feet of water fishing lake trout and 140 feet of water fishing groupers and things like that. And in both cases, either a drop shot or a jig will get it done. So... Regardless of all that, no matter how you fish or what you fish for, depth control is important, and it's one of those things that I feel like it's disregarded. Everyone says, oh, how you caught all those bass. What would you catch them with? But no one asks how deep or, or, or anything like that. And if I tell you I caught them with a jig, that doesn't answer anything. So it could be any number of variables that, that you're missing from that answer. So it's really all about the depth control. So... Focus on it. It's one of those things that we do every day. And, uh, and if it becomes a habit for you, kind of like being observant, kind of like some of the other things we talk about, uh, it will make you more consistent regardless of where or how you fish. So if you want to join the conversation at Fishful Thinker on Instagram or Facebook, we would appreciate that very much. Um, perhaps subscribe or hit the like button while you're there. We would appreciate that. Fishful Thinker is a labor of love. And if you want to see on video, YouTube at Fishful Thinker and, of course, World Fishing Network and Altitude Sports every week, 52 weeks out of the year, you can catch us there as well. So thanks for tuning in. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.